KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. Pfizer announced big developments this week about their COVID-19 vaccine. The company and BioNTech say early trial data show their vaccine is more than 90% effective. The news shocked the stock market, and it gave a lot of people a glimmer of hope. So what's next for Pfizer and this vaccine? And what about the dozens of other vaccines in the pipeline? Dr. Susan Ellenberg joins the podcast to break down what we know so far. Uh, I'm a professor of biostatistics and interim chair of the Department of Biostatistics, Epidemiology, and Informatics at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. I've been there for almost 16 years. Uh, Before that, I had a long career in the federal government, working at the NIH for 11 years, first in cancer research, then in AIDS research, and then for 12 years at the Food and Drug Administration as head of the Office of Biostatistics and Epidemiology in the Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research. Lots of different things. Lots of things. Yes. Um, Today, though, why I contacted you is Pfizer has been all over the news. Lots of good news. Definitely shook up Wall Street. Can you just kind of break down what did they announce this week and why is it so different from, you know, other drug makers with vaccines? There's, there's a huge amount of interest, obviously, in vaccines against, uh, against this infection. So it's natural that there would be, a, you know, a great interest in hearing any, any early results. Um, what, what these companies do is they have outside committees reviewing the data as they accumulate so that if something looks really ready to go even before the planned end of the trial, they can do that. So, for example, in a drug trial, if you were treating, had a drug for a serious fatal disease, uh, and you went all the way to the end of the trial, and you found that you had 200 people who died on one arm and three people who died on the other arm, people might say, why didn't you stop this earlier? You know, couldn't you see what was going on? But to protect and make sure that the trial is conducted in the most unbiased manner, companies have this outside committee, this independent committee looking, and that's apparently what happened. They reviewed these data this particular time, and I don't know whether they reviewed it earlier, but this particular time they found very, very high level of efficacy, and I haven't seen safety data. I don't know whether they have put forward safety data, but I've got to assume that they that committee did not see anything in the safety data that would have caused them to have doubts about the benefit-risk balance. There's always going to be a certain amount of adverse events with any medical product, including vaccines, but they clearly believe that the benefits far outweighed the risk, and that's why they released the results to the company who then released the results to the world. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was a lot of what was coming up, too, because it was these individual companies that were putting it out. And what's kind of like the next steps? Is there going to be more research behind that 90 percent rate? Well, I think they're going to continue to follow these people. You know, they, it's going to be a little while before the vaccine is going to be available to people. So I think they'll continue to follow these people so that in another month or so, they'll have a better estimate of efficacy. They are following, the FDA wants at least half the people in the trial to be followed for at least two months following the second dose of the vaccine to look for any 
concerning safety issues. So my understanding is, if I understood this right, when I heard the head of Pfizer talk about this yesterday, that they thought they would be at that point where half of the trial population would have uh, had at least two months of follow-up after the second vaccine. That would happen in about a week. And so maybe we'll see more safety data at that point, but they'll continue to follow so that eventually it won't take very much longer you know, to, before all of them will have had, had at least two months of follow-up, and we'll get a fuller idea of the, of the safety, which, which everybody is obviously interested in. These vac- any of these vaccines that prove to be effective you know, will be given to tens, hundreds, millions, maybe billions of people all around the world. So you know, the safety is very, very important. Right. And you keep saying two months. Is that protocol? Is that normal for a vaccine to then go to the next level, just a two month follow up? Well, nothing, nothing about this, these vaccines development is normal because of the rush. But the FDA stated a policy a few months ago that that's what they would expect, at least two months of follow up after the second dose on half of the patients in the study on the grounds that they would expect the critical safety information to occur within the first uh, within the first two months. Mm. Do, what is like normal for that time period? I guess you know non-pandemic times. Well, non-pandemic times usually it takes much longer to run a vaccine trial. We are in a situation now where there are you know so much disease. It didn't take them very long. First of all, it didn't take them very long to enter thousands of tens of thousands of patients because people are very interested in this and they're willing both for their own sakes and I think you know altruistically this is a worldwide pandemic and people do want to do what they uh, can do you know to help get an answer so they they entered patients very rapidly and then because of all the the extensive spread especially over the last month that we're hearing about going up and up and up, they were able to observe the required number of events very quickly. And that doesn't typically happen in vaccine trials. Often it takes, you know, maybe a year or two or even longer to observe enough outcomes to be able to make a judgment. And so by that time, you know, you've got a lot of safety information because you have followed people for a longer time. Here, everything is compressed. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts specifically on this Pfizer vaccine and maybe even other ones that are out there right now? I keep hearing that this one is the double dose. It's so different. What makes this particular vaccine interesting to people? Well, I think the the, the thing that's most different or most interesting about it is that it uses a platform that hasn't been ever used for any marketed vaccine. So it's a brand new technology which looks very, very promising, but of course the proof is in the pudding. You need to see what it's doing. The fact that the data looks so promising is exciting because because other of the manufacturers may also be using this platform. We'll have to see. Of course, they're not all identical. So, you know, we'll have to see one by one. But I know that, you know, I've heard commentators, you know, medical commentators on the news uh, saying that because this first one looks very, very effective, they're optimistic that others will be. And of course, we'll be much better off if we have multiple vaccine candidates that are effective because there's going to be a supply issue. 
The other interesting thing about the Pfizer vaccine that's going to be a challenge is the cold chain. The fact that this needs to be stored and transported at very, very low temperatures. I think it's minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit. And, And that is going to be a challenge Doable probably in developed countries, more difficult in developing countries, and we'll even see how effectively this can be transported and stored even here. So that will be, my guess is, that Pfizer won't be the predominant vaccine used in developing countries, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. They've they've been working very hard on methods to transport it and provide adequate storage, so, you know... That's a great point. I mean, even um, Governor Murphy in New Jersey was saying how he's going to need federal funding in order to transport. It's it's so kind of futuristic sounding. Can you kind of break that down maybe a little bit more how they're actually going to get this vaccine out of the lab and into the market? Right. That that's I mean it's gonna be a challenge, but I guarantee you this is not the first second that they've thought about that. This is something they've been working on throughout their whole development process. And uh, so it's gonna be interesting to see. They they have said, I believe, that they they think they'll have I don't know how many million I can't remember how many millions of doses available by the end of this year, but they thought by next spring they would have a billion doses available mm-hmm. for distribution. So they're optimistic about being able to get this out. Wow. That's, yeah. I mean, like, I guess we can start planning, you know, vacations next summer, maybe. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not quite there yet, but, uh, but I'm certainly much more optimistic about being able to see my grandkids before too long than I was a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's really very exciting news. The other thing that I should say, because I know that there are many people who are very concerned about safety, and there hasn't been much, if any, of the safety information put out there, but FDA has pledged, first of all, all the data is going to go to the FDA, and and they've got people who really know vaccines, really know the, uh, you know them from the from from the ground up, the, the basic science aspect, the molecular biology, to people who are expert at reviewing the clinical outcomes for vaccines. So the FDA people will, will be reviewing it, and they have pledged that they are not going to issue any kind of authorization, whether it's full approval or the emergency use authorization, until those data are also reviewed by their external advisory committee, the Vaccines and Related Biological Projects. Products Advisory Committee. So you're going to have a lot of people who, who probably know more about vaccines than almost anybody in the world reviewing those data very, very carefully before it's authorized to be distributed. Right, right. And that's, I mean, there's so many different layers to it, too, because Pfizer is not even funded by Washington. I was reading that, you know, the money came from Germany What does our government have, or maybe even presidential transition, break it down a little bit more? Does that play into this process at all? Like, how much is our government involved with Pfizer right now? Yeah, well, the government committed to to purchasing 100 million doses of the vaccine before they started. So while the government didn't pay to support the clinical trial, they did provide this sort of backstop of promising to you know, promising to buy uh, many millions of many millions of doses. So there's they haven't given any money yet, but assuming that the vaccine is determined to be appropriate to be deployed, there will be purchased by the government.
there's so many things happening right now in America, the political transition, skepticism you mentioned. I mean, how many Americans do you think will actually take the vaccine once it's out there and available? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. There have been two pieces to who's going to get the vaccine. One is just what you said. Are there going to be people who are going to be reluctant and are not going to want to take it? And on the other hand, who are going to be the people who get to be first in line? Uh, to get the vaccine, because there are going to be many millions of people who are going to be very anxious to get this vaccine. It may well be that people who reported in surveys or polls earlier that they didn't didn't think they would want to get the vaccine or that they were hesitant, once it's available and once the data are out, some of those people may change their minds because there are going to be more people in these clinical trials than there have, I think, than there have ever been in adult clinical trials. Uh, So there's going to be a lot, lot, lot of data on safety, and that may provide reassurance to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Could you see this vaccine becoming mandatory at schools or offices or in any capacity? Well, you know, there's been such a big fight about mandated, other vaccines mandated in schools. You know, I, I, I haven't, I really haven't given that any thought. I guess it's possible since there are, are school systems that mandate certain vaccines. I am not sure whether any school systems mandate flu vaccines. I, I, you know, my guess is that they don't, uh, although children are certainly very much encouraged to get flu vaccines every year. That's a good question. We'll have to see how that plays out. I think it depends on once we see all the data and the level of information we have about the safety and efficacy, you know, people may start thinking about those kinds of issues. Right. It's it's such unprecedented times everywhere. And even if a vaccine has never been mandatory before, I mean, who knows if it could or not. What do you think people should just keep in mind about this vaccine in particular or vaccines in general, this is, you know, going to be in the news. These headlines are going to be here a lot. What do you think just people should keep in mind when we're constantly seeing this? This is kind of the next steps in the pandemic. Well, vaccines, one similarity that vaccines have with, say, face masks is that you're getting a vaccine protects you, but it also protects other people. The more people that get vaccinated, the less virus is going to be out there and the less likely it is that people will be infected. We have to remember that, you know, 90% efficacy is great. It's not 100%. There will be people who will still be susceptible to this infection, and they may be people who are the most likely to get sick, really sick, if they get infected. They may be people with depressed immune systems, for example, whose immune response to the vaccine may not be as strong as some other people's. So, you know, so by vaccinating ourselves, we're also helping to protect people who who can't get vaccinated for one reason or another if they have a contraindication to a vaccine, and also people who, for one reason or another, are not going to be protected by the vaccine, although that's a that's a small number. So that's that's sort of the, the case for all vaccines. Uh, and it's why public health experts wring their hands about people who are reluctant to get vaccinated or have their children vaccinated because when the proportion of the population not vaccinated is relatively high, there's going to be more cases of the disease. And when it's a serious disease like COVID, more people will die. Mm-hmm. I like how you use the mask 
comparison there because I think that's been drilled in our head so much. And I feel like, you know, we've heard this about the flu vaccine before, but that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, I think if anything, people should, I would expect there to be more of a sense of altruism with this vaccine than anything else. People see what's happening all over the world. And we're all citizens of the world. And this affects whether you travel places, you know, where you're going to see your family or going on vacation. It's in everybody's interest that the virus is, is, is greatly diminished everywhere. And, and that, that could be a very strong motivation for people to get themselves vaccinated. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ellenberg, for joining me today, talking about the Pfizer vaccine and what's to come in general. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.